Again, a very, very warm welcome to you, um, especially if you are a new student visiting for the first time. So great to have you, or maybe you've come for the second time or whatever. Um, we're really excited to have you here. As uh, Tim and Jenny said, my name's Chris, and together with my wife, Bea, who you'll hear from a little bit later, um, we lead uh, this evening meeting. And uh, tonight, I'm going to be speaking um, uh, in our, our Father series, which is a bit of a mouthful when you have to say Our, our Father, um, but we're getting there, I think, as a church. <laughs> speaking on that again tonight and um, looking at the topic of forgiveness. And um, really, the whole point of why we're doing this series as a church is we want to get to grips with what it means for God to be our Father. Um, how, what the implications then are for us as, as therefore his children. But more than just sort of getting to get a good understanding of it and, um, you know, make a few notes from a talk, I really want us to get to grips with the emotion of what it, what it is to have a father in heaven and what it is and feels like to be his child and to be adopted by him and, and get to grips with all of that. So I, as much as I want, you know, tonight to kind of go in and your minds take it in, I want us also to ponder it as we go on um, and hopefully get to grips with the emotion of, oh, wow, what does it mean for me to actually be a son or a daughter of God and to have that relationship um, day in, day out? And uh, so this evening, we're hopefully going to find out together what it feels like to be forgiven by our Father in heaven, to, to delight in our forgiveness and how extravagant it is from God, um, but also how then we can learn to forgive others as well, what that, what that gives us to give out to other people um, in our everyday lives. And uh, hopefully it will help us relate to God um, and relate to one another at the same time. So we're going to carry on, pick up where we left off last week in uh, Matthew chapter 6, in the Lord's Prayer, which loads of you will be familiar with, I'm sure, um, but we're trying to look at it a little bit differently through a slightly different lens, perhaps, than what we normally do when we just recite it from memory. And um, so we're going to pick up in Matthew 6, verse 11, and I'm going to read through to verse 15. Uh, if you have got a Bible with you, great, flick there. If not, the words will be up on the screens you see behind me. So Matthew 6, verse 11, up to verse 15. It's Jesus speaking. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So that's kind of what we're looking at tonight. I'm not going to go out and say it straight away that forgiveness is actually pretty hard, to be honest. It's kind of difficult to dish out. Sometimes it's difficult to receive it maybe even tricky to understand and can be a bit confusing. And there's always so many emotions tied up with it um, that sometimes we don't even want to really understand it or want to deal with it one way or another. Um, but hopefully, we're going to get a bit of clarity on that because I think as a result of all of those things, it often gets quite misunderstood. And certainly in Christian circles, probably gets banded around, again, maybe without really understanding the full implications of it as those that have received it, and also those that can sort of dish it out to others as well. Forgiveness, I suppose, can be talked about from a number of different angles, right? Depending on who you spoke to, who you talked to, who's had different life experiences. Um, but as with most things, the best place to start to get your definition of something is the Bible. So um, that's where we're going to get ours for this evening. And um, I think the best and most biblical way to look at what forgiveness is, is described in 1 Corinthians 13, which... Again, lots of you might be familiar with this passage where it talks about love. 
Paul's writing a letter, and he, in this whole chapter, he talks about what love is. And um, there's, a, there's a verse in, in chapter 13 where he says, love keeps no record of wrongs. And I think that's basically what forgiveness is. Exactly that, that it, it, it doesn't keep a record of the wrongs that are done to you. It doesn't make a note or jot it up in your head and keep account of the debt that is owed to you. It doesn't keep any record, and it's done so from a place of love. And my phrasing there is very deliberate, that forgiveness is an active choice. Okay? And this is the first thing that I want us to get tonight and understand, is that forgiveness is an act of the will. It's not something that just happens on its own. It's something that we decide to do. Something that you have to choose to do in your own mind. It's choosing not to hold on to the wrongdoing that's been done to you. To not hold the resentment that comes with it and the bitterness that can be attached to it. Not clinging on to that stuff and holding a grudge for however long. It's making a choice to say, actually, you know what? I'm going to let that slide. And it's also not based on what is deserved. Choosing to forgive in that context of that passage is all about love. And so when you forgive someone, it doesn't mean that they deserve it. But you're doing it because you say, I'm, I'm going to show you love that God has shown me. I'm going to show you mercy that God has shown me. I'm going to show you grace that God has shown me. And you choose to do it. You make a choice. You take that step for yourself. You don't just sort of wait passively for forgiveness to just, like, happen. Because that ain't going to. Someone has to do something, right? So forgiveness is an act of the will. It is not an emotion. And I think that's profound, because I think that's where we mostly get confused in our day-to-day -day life. I think in modern society, we've somehow got it so muddled up with all the emotions that it can get tied up in that we feel like forgiveness is an emotion as well. Because inevitably, forgiveness is going to be tied up to all sorts of things like anger, disappointment, frustration, hurt and sadness, pain. And, and therefore, what tends to happen is you have forgiveness over here, but all of a sudden, all of this emotion starts coming out of it, right? You get this like web of emotion that you're trying to deal with and grapple with, and forgiveness just kind of gets lost in the emotional noise, and you end up seeing it in that same category. And you think that, oh, well, I don't feel forgiving yet. But it's not an emotion. Forgiveness is something that, as I said, we choose in spite of all of that other stuff. All of the things that come from it, forgiveness stands alone as something that we can decide one way or another to do or not to do. And we're deceiving ourselves if we think that it is an emotion. If we lump it in with our emotions, rather than recognizing it as an active decision, then we're lying to ourselves. And we're putting ourselves in a really tricky situation because what tends to happen then is you, you kind of wait to feel. Because emotions will change over time as situations change, right? And so something, someone does something wrong to you, and you sort of think, well, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to see it out. And eventually, I will start to feel forgiving towards that person. But that's not the way it works. It's not something that's going to happen and you're going to feel and you're going to seem one day more forgiving than you were previously. It's something that we have to choose to do. It's a choice. It's an act of the will. And I want us to get that 
now before we go into the other stuff. And I want us to remember that because I think it's really important then in how we relate to God and knowing that it's a decision that he's made, not just something that he felt one day, and also in how we relate to one another. That it's not just something that we can wait to feel, but actually it's something that we can choose to do and be a little bit more like him along the way. I don't just want us to have an intellectual understanding of forgiveness, though. I want us to know what it feels like. It's one thing to be able to make a little note in our books or on our phones, be like, okay, forgiveness is an act of the will, and it's not an emotion. Okay, good, like, I've got it. And then you're like, see you later, Chris. I got my stuff for this week. I'll be fine. That's not really good enough, because if it's just going to be up here, then it's never going to affect our heart. And forgiveness is all about the heart. It's all about what's going on down here. So I want us to understand what it feels like to be forgiven. And I'll, I'll spoiler alert, it's amazing to be forgiven, to be honest, especially when it comes from your Father in heaven. Of all the types of forgiveness you could ever receive, to get it from him, wow, that's life-changing. really is. Forgiveness for me, though, is um, something that comes up the most in my life in one very specific place. In fact, one very specific area of our house, which is the kitchen. <laughs> Those of you that know me at all, will know that cooking, not my thing. Um, I'm not a bad cook. Like, if someone gives me a recipe, I can make a meal and it'll be fine. I just don't really enjoy it. And Grace, and, and I'm, I praise you if you actually do enjoy it, because it's amazing. People like me are so grateful for stuff like that. And my wife is one of those people. I don't know where she is, actually, in the room. There she is, yeah. My wife, B is wonderful at cooking. And she actually kind of enjoys it. I have no idea why. Like, but the whole, like, preparing a meal, planning a meal. When B's like, what do you want to eat this week? Honestly, it's just a blank. I'm like, pasta and ketchup? <laughs> Probably. That'll, that'll do. That'll keep me going. The whole thing, just really not my jam. And so from time to time, when I do venture into the realm that is the kitchen, and uh, either because I want to do something nice for my wife, or perhaps because she's out and I need to, you know, take up the mantle of cooking, and... Um, Inevitably, because I'm not well-versed in that whole cooking thing, I end up making the odd mistake. Don't we all? We're all human. So I'll be making my meal and thinking, oh, I'm actually doing a pretty good job here. This is going kind of well. Um, and then I'll realize, oh, no, I've put that hot dish on the side again, and I've burnt our surfaces again, <laughs> which has happened a lot. Um, or like, I'm like, oh, yeah, this meal's great. And then I realize that I've literally used all of the ingredients that B was going to use for her lunch this week at work. And I'm like, ew, boy. <laughs> that, that was a big mistake, wasn't it? <laughs> and um, thankfully, my wife is incredibly gracious and loving. And I know now, having been forgiven enough times, that generally speaking, she's not that bothered about it because it's not that big of a deal. But as soon as I make that mistake, I feel it right away. They're like, oh, what have I done? The, and I genuinely mean this, like this, this little sense of fear of how someone's going to react. In the, like it's tight, this thing is trivial, right? Like cooking in the kitchen, it's a small thing, a small part of my life. But even in that moment, honestly, it makes me feel anxious, fearful, worried about what she's going to think or say, going to think less of me perhaps. How am I going to deal with it? How am I going to say it and own up to it? And then when B comes home or comes into the kitchen and I confess my sin and I own up to the burn on the side again, she's just like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I totally forgive you. Don't need to, don't need to worry. 
And in that little moment, the like overwhelming sense of joy and relief that she's been willing to forgive me of that thing is actually kind of huge, which I know sounds absurd, but if ever you've been in a scenario where you know you've done something wrong and then someone forgives you for it, it feels flipping amazing. And you just think, oh, thank you so much. Like, I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. But thank you that you, you decided to let me off the hook this time. Thank you that you actually, you love me more than you do the stuff that I, that I do, right? She, B loves me, I hope. She, <laughs> chat to her later, she'll confirm it. B loves me more than she does like the stuff that I do, especially the food that I make. And so when she says it, I know that it's because she loves me, not because of what I've done. And honestly, like my natural reaction is like, I want to hug her. I want to kiss her. I want to love her for what she's done and decided to do for me. If all of that, and I'm sure actually many of you will have encountered, maybe not that exact scenario, but encountered something like that for yourself in your life at some point. And if in that tiny, trivial little moment of life, I get that sense of emotion before being forgiven, and then that sense of relief and delight at being forgiven once it's happened, how much more so when I comprehend it from God Almighty to me once a sinner? How much more when I realize that it's come from him? My reaction should go through the roof. That he's chosen to forgive me. That he's made a choice. It wasn't just like he felt good one day emotionally and was like, hey, I'm kind of feeling positive. Hey, you have some forgiveness. He actually was like, no, actually, I'm, I'm going to make a choice because I want you. Here's what I've decided to do about it. That he do that for me, my heavenly father. And it's not just, what I've done hasn't just warranted a telling off. What I've done wrong is worth an eternal punishment, separation from him forever. But he's chosen to forgive me of all of that. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. But the problem is, we miss this all the time. As I was preparing for this, the biggest thing that hit me was like, I can't remember the last time that I genuinely pondered and dwelt on and enjoyed my status as being forgiven. I honestly couldn't remember it. There's loads of other angles of the gospel that I would recite and speak truth over myself and that would come through in my prayers, but forgiveness just wasn't one of them. And I think probably... That's the case for a lot of us. That we don't really get to grips with the emotion of it. Of the joy and the delight that we can find in our forgiveness from our Father. To be forgiven by my Father in heaven is to be set free. No longer enslaved to the burden of punishment and guilt and shame. All of those things, all the bad things that you feel as soon as you know you've done something wrong. And what's going to happen afterwards? All of that set free, totally lifted off of you. But all of that would be perfectly right, frankly, because that's what I deserve for what I've done wrong. But he's a father. He's a father first, as we heard last week from Duncan. Before anything else in this prayer, it's our father. Everything is through that lens. He's a father first. He loves me. He's my dad in heaven. So, so he keeps no record of wrongs over me. Because of the riches of his grace, I have forgiveness of my sins. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, the punishment's been dealt with already. And I am so pleased and delighted and relieved that it is not based on his emotion. That is why this distinction is so important. 
that God made a choice, one that he was going to stick to for all eternity, to come and save me and forgive me. It wasn't just an emotional day where he was feeling happy. He decided to do it, and he did. And what should happen is our emotions should bubble up and boil over, and we should just want to hug him, want to love him, thank him again and again and again and again for what he's done, because we know we don't deserve it. But I don't know if we do. I don't know if we do, but we should. We should let it excite us and delight us as we ponder our forgiveness from our Father. So when we pray, as Jesus instructs, forgive us our debts, we don't have to do it with a somber heart in fear of like, oh, like, please forgive me my debts. I don't know why I did that. It's just the position we adopt when we pray, I guess. We don't have to come with that attitude. We can come and pray that line knowing that as soon as we do and as soon as we confess our sin and repent, we're going to get forgiven. We can say that line on the brink of delight every single time, excited, knowing that God's reaction is going to be like, you're totally forgiven. Don't you remember everything that I did for you before? It's already done and dealt with. Come here, you silly sausage. (laughs) That's what it should feel like. But I don't know if it does. Maybe that's something for us to think about. Problem is, then you read on the next line, it says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. You're like, oh boy, I'm supposed to do something as well. Which always just makes things a little bit trickier, doesn't it? It'd be much easier if we could just receive everything, but he asks us to do stuff at the same time. You're like, ah, oh, darn it. Um, and then if you read on to verses 14 and 15, it seems kind of tricky. I'll read those verses again. It says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Now, on first reading, that looks kind of tricky, right? Like, it, it, it looks a bit like, oh, not really sure if I want to listen to that. And to be honest, when I was preparing for this, part of me was like, not even sure if I want to speak on that, to be honest, because it, it looks tricky. But that's okay. If you ever read a verse in the Bible and you're like, you know what? I don't know if I really understand this. Or like, in light of what I know about the gospel or in light of what I know about God's grace, this verse seems kind of weird. And this often happens, actually, when Jesus is speaking, right? Sometimes his teaching, you're like, oh, I don't really know what's going on here. Probably it's because there's something deeper going on. And it's okay to acknowledge that and be like, oh, okay, I won't necessarily take it at face value. Let me dig around a little bit more. Let me see what else is going on. So let's look at it. How do I forgive? How, how am I supposed to do it? Well, the first thing is you have to feel forgiven. Everything that I've just talked through, you have to come face to face with that first if we're to be able to forgive as God did. You have to get that before you can even venture into forgiving those around you. Otherwise, it's going to be really, really hard, I promise you. So first, you get to grips with that. That's the context within which then we need to read verses like 14 and 15. What's going on here is actually not this sort of time-based sequence of events where Jesus is like, first this has to happen, then this has to happen, and then your Father will forgive you. And once you've ticked those things off your your list, then forgiveness can be yours. Because that doesn't sound like grace to me. And so I'm like, oh, okay, what's he actually trying to get at? What he's trying to get at is our hearts. 
And so is often the way when God is speaking, when Jesus is speaking. He's much more concerned with our heart and our attitude than how it outworks itself. He wants to nail that, because then it wants, he knows once he's got that, the rest will come. So he's trying to get to our attitudes of our hearts. And um, I want to read you a story from later on in Matthew. Uh, it's a parable that Jesus told of the unforgiving servant, which I think really helps in this scenario to sort of bring a bit of light and clarity to what Jesus might be getting at. So the, the words won't come up. I'll just read it to you, and then um, we'll explain what's going on. It says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master, he ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, we got a king, we got a servant, and then there's another servant, right? The middle servant owes the king loads of money, which in modern day terms is roughly about $6 billion, okay? Quite a bit. Um, then middle servant gets totally forgiven of all of that debt. Big deal. He then goes out well chuffed and finds another servant who owes him a little bit less than $6 billion, it equates to $12,000, which is 0.002% of the amount that he's just been forgiven. Kind of outrageous. And you read that story, and you're just like, how can that guy go out, threaten his fellow man of that tiny, ridiculously small amount when he's just been forgiven of $6 billion worth. And our natural reaction is that he should have. Surely, having been forgiven of all of that, how hard would it have been to let this other guy off the hook? That's surely the attitude that he should have adopted. It makes so much sense. And that's the reaction that we get as we read that story. And the same is true for us. In this story, we're the middle servant. But it only works for us in light of the cross. If we don't have a view of the cross with all of this, then it does look really tricky. And it looks like we really have to earn our way into forgiveness just by forgiving those around us. But when we know that we've been forgiven of, well, you can't put a figure on it, but $6 billion worth, <laughs> when we get that, 
The rest pales in comparison. It then doesn't become so hard to say to a brother or a sister, you know what, I totally forgive you because I've been forgiven of so much. Who am I now to judge you? Who am I now to hold this against you? Who am I now to resent you for that tiny little thing when I can look back at everything I've done and know that God has forgiven me first? John Stott, the, the commentator, puts it a little bit like this. He says, Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. See, we shouldn't have an exaggerated view of what other people are doing to us. We should always have an exaggerated view of what God's done. And just think, my goodness, so much. More than I can ever give him credit for. More than I can ever really understand. Who am I to make much of that which has been done to me? Knowing that he's forgiven me of all of that that I've done to him. Hannah in the band, do you want to come back up? Forgiveness is a hard thing to do. And it, it's not going to happen straight away because you have to grapple with it in your heart. But we are able to forgive. And when we do, that's freedom. You know, earlier I was saying to be forgiven is to be set free from the burden of punishment and guilt and shame. Well, to forgive is freedom as well. To be set free from resentment and bitterness, that root which would build up in us if we weren't to. In a moment, as soon as we say, I forgive you, or even if we don't say it to the person, but we, we, we pray to God, say, God, I forgive that person for what they've done to me. It might not feel it, we might not feel it straight away, because our emotions eventually will line up, but they won't just change in an instant. But as we do, we begin to walk in freedom. We begin to look a little bit like God. And every time we forgive, every time we make that choice, we line up a little bit more with the Father's heart. We become a little bit more like him. And, and when we do, we should be reminded of the outrageous love that our Father has shown to us. Every time we forgive someone else, it shouldn't be through gritted teeth of like, oh, yeah, I forgive you because I know I'm supposed to. All we should do is remember what God has first forgiven of us and then say, oh my goodness, who am I to hold this now? I forgive you. And walk into that freedom and feel it and delight in it and delight in what God's done for you. So there's freedom as we receive forgiveness from our Father, from punishment and fear. There's freedom as we walk in forgiveness for others from bitterness and resentment. Because now the, the only record that, that God's concerned with is that of Jesus. And his is absolutely perfect. So you never have to worry about yours because you are forgiven because of the work of the cross. And now we're able to walk in the light of that and forgive others as well.
I'm going to hand over to Han and the band, and we're going to sing together.